Okay, we are recording now. Great. So. Welcome, welcome. Welcome. This is the first time, I guess the only other time we've done something like live live was the alumni game. That is true. And that that was different than what this is going to be. It was different. And we also decided in that game that we were going to do like the the play-by-play color thing for the last baseball game against Utah. But then the Batcats ended up being the ass bats and were horrible. And so I think everybody collectively forgot about that game. And I just remembered right now that we even said we were going to do that and never did it. So sorry about that. Um, Yeah. But it is the last game of the year. We, the holiday was really weird. Like I had family come in town. I did, I'll be hosted Thanksgiving. So I was cooking all day Wednesday and then obviously Thursday and then yesterday Oh, here's a good story. So, so yesterday was the uh, the Arizona ASU game. I don't know if you got to watch any of that. Uh, so Pork Chop, in the middle of the second quarter, took a tumble. He fell off the bleacher. Like in, I don't know if you've ever have you ever been to a game in Tucson? Did you go in 2018? Uh, no, I have not. So their stadium, it's like they're just benches, but then it's like concrete steps. So like you're sitting on a bleacher, but then your feet are just like on the on a concrete like flat basically the same as les but it's concrete so Mm -hmm. he was sitting backwards playing because there is no back but like you're the top of the bleacher is level with the step like the foot area behind you so he was just kind of like sitting and there was no one behind us so there was like maybe like three feet of area he was just kind of playing he leaned too far back fell down and fell off the bleacher and hit his head on the ground and his head started bleeding so i like picked him up ran down the stairs ran to the like first aid medic station area and they're kind of looking through his hair. They're like, we can't find a cut. It's probably really small and it just bleeds a lot because it's his head. Like, and he, he calmed down once we like put some ice on it and it wasn't like gushing blood. And so they said like, it's probably just a little cut, won't need stitches or anything. So we're like, okay. And they're like, you know, if he is like starts throwing up or acting any different, whatever, then obviously like you need to take him to the hospital. We're like, okay, cool. So we asked him, like, you feeling okay? And then he was like, yeah, I want to. And he said he wanted to go watch the game more. So we're like, okay. So we walked back up to our seats. He's cheering the rest of the game. He's play, playing. Like, he, he's having a good time. There's a wild finish. He's going nuts with everybody else. And when they have the interception, then there's a benches clearing brawl at the end of the, you know, it was a great game. We drive home. My friend down the street is a PA. We text him and we say, hey, Baker fell on his head. There's a little bit of blood. You know, just like take a look at it just in case the, the EMT said they couldn't find a cut and it was fine. They peel it open and or they he looks at cleans it off, looks under his hair, and the short of the story is he got five staples in the back of his head last night. Nice. And so he went he went like six hours with this cut in the back of his head and then we walked home from our neighbor's house or drove home from our neighbor's house. It was like eight thirty now. And I was like, Hey, it's past your bedtime. Do you want to go to bed? And he said, no, watch more football. So like any good father, we watched the end of the Florida FSU game. And then he said he wanted pie and meat. So then I gave him leftover turkey and he ate like a quarter of a pecan pie at 9.30. And then I put him in bed. Well done. But it, was a, it, it was a proud moment that he, he didn't quit when he gashed his head open in the middle of a rivalry game. He knew yeah. that he was needed to be there cheering. And then he wanted to, instead of going to bed, he wanted to watch more football and eat more Thanksgiving leftovers. So well, there, there you I go. Like a great, it was a great parenting win for me. Yeah, yeah that's well done. Um, 
Uh, let, me, let me tell you something I don't understand. It's the kicker, the kicker boot. Like the Stanford kicker, right? He's got the one black boot and then the one regular cleat. Oh, um, yes. And I don't understand that. Puka like just wear matching cleats. Yeah. Oh, you're a little bit, you're a little bit ahead of me. I think I'm behind. No. I'm streaming today and I hate no, it. No, I, I, I don't understand I'm, that. I'm, Jaren is about, the, that was the first snap just started. So I haven't, yes, Puka should have caught that ball. And he just dropped it. So you're about 10 seconds ahead of me. Okay. Well, the kicker boot. Uh, can someone explain to me why? Do you know why? No. Well, because I get like if a kicker, like, you know, they wear a soccer cleat, which right. mo- I remember back in the day, like when I was growing it was like our kicker, you know, it was like he just wore soccer cleats because he right. wanted, you know, toe cleat and wanted whatever. But then I don't not this weird, like we're going to wear one football cleat and one. I don't know, maybe it's some weird thing that it's like having the extra spike makes a difference come like on your off leg when you're running into plant or I, it just seems weird it's because strange. I think soccer cleats, they don't have a toe cleat because then it will like, it can like hit the ball and basically kind of affect how you kick, I think, right? That's why you don't do it. Um, it doesn't make sense but, because it's not a soccer cleat. It's like this leather boot. Yeah, I don't get why they've switched it up but this stanford team is bad so this is a bad team i wrote about this this week um you've got byu's defense is like 105 and scoring defense or something stupid stanford's worse right uh stanford's offense is also just as bad as their defense in terms of like scoring offense scoring defense they're both sub 100 uh, so as bad as BYU's defense has been, Stanford's defense has been a little bit worse, and at least BYU has an offense that you can go, oh, well, you can be proud of that offense. Coog should roll in this game. It shouldn't even be close. Yeah. It, they should roll in this game. It shouldn't be close. It, we had, uh, who was it, Callan Osborne, Italian, is at the game, and he, he posted in saying that he, he thought that it was like 5-1 to one BYU fans there. Uh, that makes sense. And, and it, I mean, the picture, I, he posted a picture and then I, I made the dumb mistake of tweeting it out and everyone's like hitting us with the stupid, like, oh, how could you kids say no to a Stanford education? Like nonsense, which anybody who has listened or talked to us for knows, years, our, our oh, years, that oh, it's Chris Brooks. Oh, he didn't that is break it. The single, in my opinion, is the Stanford undergraduate education is the single biggest overhyped thing in all of college football. Well, in, in football, right? right? Because... And that's the, that's the caveat that so many people like, don't want to talk about, but it is, right? We've talked about this ad nauseum. We don't need to continue to rehash it, but we're playing Stanford, so it makes a lot of sense to talk about it. Stanford, Stanford degree for you, for me, Garrett, it makes a ton of sense. Of course, it's a valuable degree, right? But a yes. Stanford degree for somebody who's a celebrity, and, and there's no question, there's a celebrity status that comes with being a BYU or a Utah football player, right? Like a, a USC football player. Like USC isn't losing kids to Stanford because they have a you know perfectly acceptable education too, and you're from USC. Like there's that celebrity status and that if you're a football player and you get to enjoy the perks that come with being a celebrity it opens as many doors as stanford does if not more and, depends on and the along school. with that 
if you are LDS, you know, presumably, like we're talking about the bulk of the BYU recruiting race, hey, right? Hey, you get to enjoy a touchdown run here in like four more seconds. Oh, yes. Okay. I mean, we're rolling. So I, it's, I assumed, and Brooks has already popped off two good long runs. Oh, we got Quadzilla. Oh, no, it was Jaron. Jaron, he has not run. I mean, he's been banged up all year for a good chunk of the year. And now that he's run a lot more the last couple of games, and I think it's really shown just how banged up he and how much pain he's going through. But back to Stanford, the if you are LDS, like, right, like the bulk of the our recruiting base, you there's a decent chance that you probably do not want to, and you are an athlete, right? Because you're looking if you're looking at the Venn diagram of things of like, where it's like turning down the Stanford education, like what is a Stanford undergraduate education good for? The number one thing that people say is like you know working in Silicon Valley. So it's like you have to be then for the most part, to really even buy into like the working in Silicon Valley thing. It's like, okay, you got to study computer science at Stanford. How many athletes are studying computer science? Mm -hmm. And then you also have to really want to live and stay in Silicon Valley. Because if you just like want to work in tech, well, you can go study computer science at BYU. And then literally any single of the tech companies in Utah, because all of the Silicon Slopes money, it's like, almost all of it leans BYU, right? Like you will have no shortage of job opportunities. Look at how many former BYU athletes are like director of sales, vice president of this, whatever business development, like all of the schmoozer positions. So many of them are filled, right? Because you said like you are a pseudo, a local celebrity. You are. And, and so, and if you go outside of, yes, like, and if you go outside of the, you know, if you go outside of the, LA, San Francisco, Seattle, New York, Chicago, basically those five cities. If you are a Stanford graduate, yes, you're probably going to get an interview because you're a Stanford graduate. But you and I both know, right? Like once you get into the interview, your resume doesn't matter. Right. Like, and it's like, do you, everyone, I mean, you may have something to split, finally split hairs, but it's like everybody. It's like if you get interviewed, you think like, okay, I think they're decent enough. Let's talk to them. And then it depends on how you actually handle the interview and what you do and your other actual work experience. So it's like once you are five years from removed from Stanford, your degree definitely doesn't matter. Like, and even if you look at it, Stanford, I think it's like 50-50. They're basically Stanford is a – what was that kickoff? How did he slip? Um, Stanford – is a graduate school. Like if you're talking like the real thing of where you'd say, Oh, Stanford, like I couldn't pass it up is if Stanford, which they're going to die. We can talk about Stanford's going to die because they do not accept undergraduate transfers and they do not let their athletes enroll in graduate programs. So their athletes have to enroll. Like, you know, when you're talking about like Houston, Humuli transferring to BYU, staying at Stanford was not an option for him because he finished degree. So they kick him out of the athletic department. Right. Right. And same with, uh, you know, like Everybody. same with Gabe Reed going to Utah, yeah. whatever. And even in like Taysom, he got home mid-year from his mission. They do not allow mid-year enrollees and they do not accept transfers. So they are basically, they are removing themselves from the transfer portal entirely from taking people and then they're forcing people out. Now, if you want to say, okay, hey, I graduated, which do they still have the, uh, do they still have the rule? 
that you to you, like your grad program has to be one that your undergraduate school doesn't offer something in order to grad transfer or are you just allowed a free grad transfer now um it's pretty loose i think the rule still exists but i don't think they really but i care. guess now with the one time with the one time transfer anyway i guess it wouldn't matter, but like but if it was like i was a grad transfer and it's like oh, okay I'm going oh, to transfer because sorry. I got into the Stanford MBA. Hold on, Gary. Now, okay. Corner blitz, and BYU gives up a third and nine. Blitzing's oh, not but... always the answer, ladies and gentlemen. Especially BYU's blitzes, because they're so bad at it. And, and, Is that because like, we don't do it enough? It, well, the chicken and the egg. Do we not do it enough, or do we not do it hardly enough because the coaches know that we suck at well, it. Well, right, and, and, and that, that's a reasonable discussion point, right? Like, let's talk about, like, why BYU is so bad at the Blitz. But, boy, when they send pressure, especially, like, from the edges, right? Like, if they're bringing in an extra linebacker on a delayed Blitz or a corner Blitz or something, they get burned almost every time. They are not good at it. So, so I, I, I have a hunch. The defensive staff sucks, folks. Like, it isn't, forget scheme, forget everything you've heard, forget, you know, all the talking points from Twitter and Cougar Board. Just from a pure technique standpoint, uh, I have a, a, a friend who, who knows some folks up at Utah State on that coaching staff, and Utah State was, was really kind of surprised because when BYU's defensive line, particularly, when they tried to do something different, uh, Utah State's coaches said, yeah, it worked almost 100% of the time. BYU was really, really tough. But they only would try something exotic looking like once out of every 10 plays. And so from Utah State's offensive line's perspective, it was the easiest game plan that they've had all year to game plan because they knew that, okay, don't get totally smoked on those one plays to where you're killing yourself. And the, the other nine plays, you're going to be able to play pretty much straight-up coverage and nothing's going to be, you know, your, your protections are going to be straight-up and nothing's going to be crazy. Yeah. And, and we see that week in, week out. And, and to me, that comes down to more than scheme, right? That comes down to Preston Hadley doesn't know how to coach that technique. And, and that's not because he didn't play. Like, you can learn. Like, Steve Clark is clearly at five foot six, never been a tight end. But he knows how to coach the position. Preston Hadley's been in this role now for, what, two years? Is this his second year? And uh, he's had... Maybe third? Yeah, second or third. He's had plenty of time to figure out how to make this position, like, how to coach this position. And he just hasn't figured it out. So that's disappointing. Yeah, it's very disappointing. I wrapping up what I was saying about Stanford and then going like if Stanford took grad transfers or took transfers and it's like, oh, you can get a Stanford MBA as a grad grad transfer, then that conversation of how could you turn down this education becomes very, 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 very different, right? Like there's because what even I mean, even Stanford's like they don't have a finance program, they don't have a marketing program. It is a liberal arts school that they don't have like the general business degrees that people typically are like, Oh, if you want to, you know, get a great value on your education and go make a lot of money. And, and then obviously you have to take the overlap of what do most athletes major in like communications, sociology, right? Like they kind of, they mail it in on a major and say, Hey, well, it doesn't really, because the selling point is it doesn't really matter what, you need to study because 
you're going to be a celebrity in this town and a booster is going to hire you. So you playing here is going to like, that's the best part of your degree is that your resume also says you were a starter on the football team. Right. And so we don't talk about that anymore. And I'm tired of talking about nauseam. I haven't even looked at my mentions to see how many people I'm going to actually go meet the conversation right now. Cause I'm tired of people. Hey, Gabe, Judah are... Lolly just had pretty oppressive uh, coverage. He's had a rough couple of yeah. weeks. Uh, he's had a rough couple. He's been so up and down because, like, he's had such a rough couple weeks. But then, also, like, he was so great at the beginning of the year, like the first couple games, and then he is kind of yeah. He has been up and down all season, which I don't remember he, did he get hurt for um, miss a game or two? I can't remember. This either. season has felt so long. I can't I even remember what's what. I don't think he did. Uh, he's an interesting name over the next couple of weeks, though, um, because he has a year of eligibility left. I think he has two. I guess if he wants the COVID year, yeah. I mean, he he yeah. has, I guess, two to play one. And no, I think he. I thought he had three years of eligibility because he like oh, I don't cranked it, so. Bandy. I don't think something. so. Maybe um, he's got he's talk. got more than just this year, right? And and but he's also got a girlfriend who's a cheerleader at SMU. Like, how long does he want to do this long distance thing? How serious are they? All that good stuff. And then, what's his BYU experience like, right? Um, I think for B, from BYU's perspective, Gabe Judy Lolly is an incredibly important player. Like, they need to get him back, not because of anything. That he brings on the football field, and I think he's good. I think he's just fine. It's been up and down, whatever. But I think more importantly, EYU needs to show that they can get the non-LDS black athlete, even out of the transfer portal, and offer an experience that's worth staying for longer than, hey, I'm going to be here for six months as a grad transfer to try and boost my NFL resume. They, they need more of those multi-year guys. They've had a few out of high school, right? But they're mostly those... Uh, you know, the Isaiah Herons, the D'Lo Mandels, the, the lowly recruited guys, they need to get guys who had other options and and prove yeah. that, that they can do that. And so Gabe Judy Lolly, what he does over the next couple of weeks, going to be fascinating. I think he is one of the more interesting storylines to follow uh, from the roster's perspective. We're going to talk a lot about the coaching staff and what we think is going to happen there. Uh, but from the players in the roster perspective, Dave Judy Lolly's one to pay attention to, just because I think so, it signals something for the future. Yes. He, uh, I just say, so he does have two years of eligibility remaining after the season. So he redshirted in 20, he played in four games, redshirted in 2019. Then he, as a redshirt freshman in 2020, it was his COVID year, Southern Council last year, he was a redshirt freshman, but he grinded. So he finished his degree at Vanderbilt in three years. For him. And then with the redshirt year and the COVID year being part of that, this year he's technically a sophomore. Hey, Houston Haymuli getting some reps early. Not the I lead blocker. Him. Not the lead blocker that everybody's wanted him to be, but he lined up and uh, on that little counter action, he set the opposite. He's on the field. Yeah, he ran a little split zone. Yeah, you like to see that. Had the comeback. You know, I still, one of the things that is baffling that I just want to know, or like what I want to know from A-Rod is why we do not, uh, like, why we never just go I formation when we, like, when we need a yard, right? Like, 
that that is one of the things because I feel like I maybe I need to go back and watch again, but you know, some tape from 2019, 2020, but I feel like we did that a couple times. Like I remember Mason Wake lining up as a true fullback occasionally when we in a short yardage situation here or there. Yeah, it's happened. making that up in my head. No, it's but happened. It seems like we've totally gone away from it. And it's, you know, especially if like, you know, get that big body. And it's not like, I get why some teams don't do it because there is like, like if you are a Mike Leach team, right? Like they, never go under under center so you're it's weird to do it because now you've added a new variable of like you have to work on the qb exchange and then how the quarterback pivots for a handoff is very different just getting out of the way especially like if you're trying to run counter and there you have two guard like you have or even or like duo or whatever it's like you have or power you have a guard and a tackle both and your quarterback needs needs to move and get out of the way and you don't do that under center often that becomes an extra variable and so now you even see teams that mostly go in the gun right like they will often uh i think jaron just th- uh, tried to throw a ball with like holding the butt end of the ball and then like yeah that was 10 yards short that was bad, um, bad so if you have like you know even teams now they will kneel it out that you'll see occasionally like they'll be like six yards back and then they'll have two guys there. So in case it's a bad snap, they can fall on it because they don't even want to mess with that in practice. They don't want to take a take something, but it's, we go under center a decent amount, right? Like we go under center, we'll do the jet sweep. We will go under center and just like run a straight zone play. So it's not like we never go under center, but I don't quite understand why we never, you know, just throw a fullback in there to clear out some garbage and, get a first down occasionally when we need it my guess is that it's because the running backs never hit the right freaking gap and so even well, with the maybe, that, that's there, what i'm saying make one i well there, it i, matter. I, I get it but, that guy. but then that makes it pretty an easy read for the linebackers right like hey fullback's gonna go and you're gonna have an extra step before the running back gets there and and our the running backs already have a tough enough time getting into the right gap do, yeah and I guess too, we've also like we I mentioned this before that it's when it comes down to like when it's fourth and one, I don't care what you call. It shouldn't matter, right? Like that is mono e mono who is going to get a push and who wants it more and who's gonna, you know, make that who is going to make that play of and stared he held on to calls for way too long because he would have run through quicker. He had Hingley up that wheel route. Um but the, you know, it's like it shouldn't matter, right? Like it's the line gets a half of a push and the running back, you just put your helmet down. And if there's not a hole, you shove your helmet up someone's butt and make one, right? And then fall forward and get a half a yard when you need it. And that's where we, it really seems that's been one of the biggest things where we've struggled this year. And a lot of it, you know, maybe not why, even getting why the right hole. Why can't people hear us? What's going on, people? I mean, I some know. of you can hear us. Most of you who are saying you can't hear us aren't in the correct place. I don't know how to navigate Discord. Garrett, you might have to, like, give these people a map, you know? Yeah, I don't know. Can we link the channel? I don't know how to do that. I mean, and let's see. I don't know where people are at, but maybe they're looking in the... Like, I wonder if they're just in the post-game thread channel. I got it. Everyone else says they can hear... Oh, it's just Bengal Coog. I'm sorry, Bengal Coog. You uh, probably have some uh, 
<laughs> Thank you, Ian. If you can't hear, try turning your volume up. Ooh, or maybe idea. your your Bluetooth, your sp- headphones are connected to something else. Well, there's a handful of people that are saying that they can't. I don't know. I don't understand. Texas Tech did it. Hey, what a year for the Texas Tech Red Raiders. They, they beat okay. Texas and Oklahoma. I thought about this. I thought about this. The game's um, going to switch back no, to FS1 just for people. We had the – okay, actually, let me cut over. Is that game final right now? Yeah. So we're all going to go over? Okay. Yep. Um, so after this commercial break, actually. So the – I thought about this. So we had you had the conversation, right, on – oh, it went to overtime even. Dang. Yeah. Um, we had this conversation when you, you graded the Matt Rule higher. And – then Dusty was, said something about, you know, like Texas and Nebraska. Hold on. Dusty, lost... Dusty's name. I've been working with Dusty all year long. Dusty Litster. There's an extra you think T. I've been saying Dusty Lister the entire time I've known him. It's Litster. been like seven years. It wasn't I'm, until. I never thought about that. Well, Litster. I, I can't remember. I wrote something and I wrote his name down and he was like, hey, this sounds great, except for my name is Litster. What? No, it's not. And then we had a robust He's debate on what his name really was, and it is in fact Litster. He he's just dusty. He doesn't even need a last name. He's like he he he's like Prince, right? Yeah. Um. So you guys, we, there was a little conversation right, about the Nebraska's identity because I think you know the biggest thing, and it's affected both Colorado and Nebraska since they've left the Big 12, is that they used to get a ton of players from Texas and say, mm-hmm. hey, it's okay, you come play for us. You're still going to get to play a bunch of games in Texas because mm-hmm. we're going to play Texas, we're going to play Tech, we're going to play A&M, whatever. And they really lost that. And now Nebraska, you, you were saying they have to find a way to get that. And you pointed out that you know Matt Rule didn't have any ties to – Baylor or Texas before he went to Baylor. Right. Which is true. But do you know, and this is maybe this is something where Matt Rule will see what I'm very interested to hire because do you know who probably the most important single hire was when Matt Rule got hired at Baylor in 2017? Yeah, Joey McGuire. Yes, Texas Tech head coach Joey McGuire, who was a high school coach. He was still, that was his first collegiate job. He was the head coach at a high school and he hired him to be the tight ends coach and recruiting coordinator. And you know, and um, basically say hey, a legendary high school coach. Yes, legendary, very successful. Right. That this is like what this would be like Kalani hiring uh Eric Care from Corner Canyon oh, to be the potty. coach. Ropati, 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 man. Um that was thirsty. I'm excited to watch this play happen. <laughs> I forget the, you're behind. <laughs> can you just hit pause for like ten seconds? <laughs> the Dude, Rapati, we need to like. Dude, Rapati has Rapati so has all thumbs on his hand. Like he can't hold on to the football, and that's why he doesn't play because I he he must have just like little Vienna sausages. He in has fingers. Fumbleitis in practice like crazy. Yeah, and I think it's because his hands are not big. Like as big as he is, I don't think that that his hands are very big. But man, when that dude can hold on to the football. He's good. He needs to be one of those that we hear about. It's like carrying the ball to class, and people are just trying to like come out and hit it out of his hands as he's walking up the stairs to campus or something. Yeah, I man. I mean, good. sometimes guys are just like they're gamers, right? Like they are. Um, they're just they suck in practice, 
or they have issues in practice, but then the lights come on and they are just amazing. And then there's other guys where they look great in practice and lights come on and then they can't figure it out and look, you know, they don't look it at all. And so it's, it's hard to blame, you know, the, the people like, Oh my gosh, the coaches are stupid. Where's her potty been all season, you know, but if he's looked awful in practice and keeps fumbling the ball as a coach, what are you supposed to do? Right. Like you can't, if you, because 95% of the time, the best guy in practice is going to be the best guy on Saturday. And there are exceptions to that, but you know, how do you do it? And it's not, uh, you know, the running game hasn't, hasn't been what it was with Tyler Algier because we've had those, the short yardage situations where we can't quite get over, but still it's like the offense has been humming all pretty much all year long, even through Jaron getting hurt, you take out the abysmal Liberty game and the offense is just done fine all year mm-hmm. but it's not been you know their issues but the that rapati dude like he looked a lot faster than i thought he was on that play yeah i want to see a 40 time from him He's i want to know what uh, i talked about it's... this i talked about this a couple of weeks ago with uh with ropati but the year i can't remember what year it was i think he signed in 2020 maybe he was like a late ad into the 2020 class yes and at the time, BYU didn't have any scholarships available, particularly for running backs. I don't remember where they went or who they were allocated to. Bruce Garrett was probably in the mix back then. Uh, I, don't, I don't remember where they all were. But at the time, they were full, and they had turned down some other talented players to the point that I think Kalani had stepped in and been like, look, guys, like, no running backs. We can't. We don't have room. Jeff Grimes saw Hinkley Ropati at Cerritos College. And Cerritos, if you remember, uh, Hinkley Ropati played behind Ramondre Stevenson, who's now you know tearing up things for the New England Patriots. Uh, Ropati played behind Ramondre Stevenson at Cerritos. And so he just kind of was this unknown dude. And Grimes went and saw him play and was like, whoa, we got to have this guy. Uh, went to Kalani, went to the recruiting staff, went to whoever and said, look, whatever we've got to do, we need him and we need him right now. And I can't remember whose scholarship got pulled. I don't think anybody's scholarship got pulled, but they were, they had a scholarship allocated for another position. Um, and they were recruiting somebody pretty heavily that they thought that they were going to get him. And they ended up stopping that recruitment and went all in on Ropati at the request of Jeff Grimes. That's how he got here. Thank you, Jeff Grimes. Yeah. Hey, Cash Peterman is uh, getting some time. Did did Jake Oldred get hurt on that other kickoff? Uh, I wonder if they're just trying to, like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what they're trying to do. But Cash Peterman, wearing the same helmet as the rest of the team. That's a little bit weird. A little bit weird. Uh, so the game is officially switched back over to FS1. Garrett, it's about time for coaching changes, you know? It is. It's So let's see. Well, we're going to know about, I guess we won't know about a bowl game until next Saturday. I mean, because they'll wait till the conference, you know, wait till the conference championships games all get kind of worked out. Mm-hmm. But the the bowl games, I mean, we talked about. I don't about know. I bet, I bet you BYU knows. 
They may not know who they're playing, but I bet BYU knows where they're going this week. This is probably true. And, yeah, so we will probably know. The Our VIPs will probably know, hopefully know, sometime this week. Um, but you, you may also, they may not know, because last year ESPN said, uh, get ready to go to Phoenix and play in the guaranteed rate bowl, and then said, just kidding. Um, hey, I mean, it even got to the point where they told BYU TV to get, be ready to send the truck to Phoenix, and then we ended up in Freeport. So I, it's not going to be, I mean, there were a couple of different projections I like, but so you th- with the change, it will be probably, there will be some type of change within the next seven days. Do you think it's going to be like, Nine. When did they announce that Ty Detmer was let go? The was mon- it like the Monday. 90, it was like nine oh one a.m. on Monday morning. Yeah, maybe. I don't remember the time, but it was the Monday following that game. The one variable that twenty seventeen did not have that that we will have this year is there is a bowl game. I wouldn't expect that to play any role whatsoever. Bowl games are pointless. Players will opt out. I would be shocked. I know what what our guy Mitch wrote. I know what. Uh, KSL's pushed out, and I and I know what what Puka said. I would be shocked if Puka plays in this bowl game. I would be shocked if Blake Freeland plays in the bowl. What game. What has Dave McCann said? Uh, something about the torpedoes, <laughs> I think mostly. <laughs> no, so I I, think... I would be surprised if uh, if 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 he played. If Jaron ends up officially declaring, which he hasn't yet, and the Senior Bowl hasn't officially announced him either, right? So like. Right, but they have the Senior Bowl did officially invite Puka. Puka and so. Blake both, right? So, like, that effectively yeah. is their announcement. We haven't seen anything like that from Jaron. Jaron's a really interesting case because I think Jaron could probably reel in seven figures worth of NIL deals next year. I don't think he can get seven figures where he'll be drafted. Yeah. That's a big well, number, and that's because, but I expect and because that to he would be, be very marketable as a Big 12 quarterback. He goes beyond... Yeah, the independent program on the, the Stanford defense is so bad. Good job, Harrison Kingsley, man. On they just showed the replay of that Roquati touchdown. Um, but the Jaron is an interesting part, right? Because the the league minimum salary is going up to like seven hundred next year, or it is seven oh five this year, mm-hmm. and it'll go up a little bit next year. But it's like that's if it's you, if you make a roster. It's if you make a roster, and, and, and the way it's and like stick on that roster. And, Yes, and so it is. It, there's a lot of gray area once you hit like the fifth round, about. Um, and so there's there's a lot of gray area when you hit that fifth round or so of money and what Jaron can do. You know, if he comes back being the guy in there, and honestly, this is where nil. Like, yes, you're buying players now. That's the way college football works. Mm-hmm. Where. If you, I mean, you cannot do things, but you have a collective that the school talks to and the school says, um, hey, guys, uh, can you go make, here's our list of uh, big donors. Can you please go make a few phone calls collective and see what kind of sponsorship deals you can get for us? Because we are going to have to go hit the portal for a quarterback next year. Otherwise, and if we don't land a quarterback, then we're probably going to be putting everything in the hands of true freshman Ryder Burton and in the first year in the big 12. And we don't really want to do that. So we got to make sure Jaron has enough money to stay. Yeah. And that's a tricky situation to be in. I think it is a, I think it could happen. Ian Jones has been getting a lot of reps the last couple of weeks. 
Like the safety the, position has been absolute booty cheeks, but Dean Jones has kind of solidified himself with Talon Alfrey as that other guy, you know, alongside Micah Harper. So just kind of an interesting development. And he doesn't look terrible. But we were talking about the bull game. And so with the bull game, I think that it could affect the timing of a change. Just like if we are playing in a crappy, like, I don't if think... we're playing in a bull that's on like December 17th, mm-hmm. then then I could say like, okay, play the bull game and then make the change the next day. But if it's going to be later in December, right? Cause it's how, cause no matter what, you're not going to have a, somebody in place by the early signing day. Well, so, it, it's more about the transfer portal window. You, you want to have, it's true. You want to have like the guys. Uh, I mean, let's, let's, let's take a, you know, a Logan sure. Fano. I'm not breaking news here or anything. But we can all see with our eyeballs. Uh, Logan Fano doesn't want to be a defensive end under Preston Hadley. I mean, who would, right? Like I, Tyler Batty. You can make the same argument for Tyler Batty. I pick Logan because he's a little bit younger. Ice Moa, probably in the same boat. If the, the development that Tyler, the, yeah, that Tyler Batty has got over the last couple of years is the development that these guys like John Henry Daly or these guys like Fano or Moa are going to get they probably look really hard at the transfer portal, right? Like if Preston Hadley is still around, they look hard at the transfer portal. So what BYU has to do is, is it used to be it's super important, you know, to have your guy, like your coach in the room to do recruiting. It's now almost just as important that you have your guys out of the room and it doesn't really matter who's there, right? You've got to play both because sides of that coin now. You are recruiting for four to five years, not just once when they are, or, right. you know, or not even one. now it's recruiting thing earlier. Like by the time somebody matriculates through your program, not even counting a mission, you are recruiting them for basically seven years. Right. And to that's... eight years. Cause you're talking like there's you, you get on them their sophomore year of high school when they first make the varsity team. And when they're junior year, you're it's working on your senior year, you finally get them to sign. And then, they, then it's like, then you get them there and it's like, are they going to redshirt and not play for you or only playing four games? Does that make them upset? Are they going to get try to go and get more playing time elsewhere? Exactly. You know, and, and and now you're keeping guys, right? Like it's the, what we, you know, kind of talk about with like when Kalani came in and convinced Taysom to stay instead of transferring. Jacob Robinson when, just made a hell of an open field tackle. He has been, Jacob Robinson, he reminds me a lot of, um, Oh, what was that guy's name? Who was the corner that came in? He was a junior college transfer on like the very first Bronco teams in like oh five oh six. Oh, and he was like the OG Brian Logan, where he he was like a corner, but was like five seven. I have no idea. Do you know who I'm talking about? Not a clue. Or like, do you remember? Oh gosh, that's gonna bug me. But he was like, he, I remember he was this corner that played and kind of similar to Brian Logan, where it's like. Brian Logan was really, 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 really good. He was just way too small. But like, if you like his coverage skills and him playing the ball, like, well, I think his junior year he led the nation in pass breakups, right? Like, his ability to play corner was amazing. He was just way too small to ever get an NFL look. But Jacob and I feel like Jacob Robinson the same way. Like, he's a very he's much smaller than what most defensive backs are built like these days. And but he is very fundamentally sound. He just does not have the body. To be like, he's where you're thinking about like he's an elite player. 
He's just skinny. He's got to get, if he can put the weight on, and I don't know that he can. This is his third year in a college program, so we'll see. But he's 5'11", and, and I've covered him when he was at Orem. Like, that 5'11 is probably pretty close. I don't think it's super inflated. But the dude, he's like 160 pounds. He's, they got to find a way to put some, some muscle on that body. Yeah. He'll never make it in the league. Gosh, I'm, I'm looking up to figure out who this corner was because it's going to drive me nuts. So, and even when I say his name, you're probably going to be like, uh, uh, "Oh, Justin Robinson." That was his name. Oh yeah, you know, okay. he was he was a transfer. He was, he was listed at five nine one sixty eight. Yeah, okay. He was played at a JC. Came in, played in 05 and 06, Started both years. It was like in O yeah, he had you know like over the two years had seventy one tackles, four picks, and he he was a very very solid stout like player. It just he was way smaller than mm-hmm. you typically see in a corner, so he never got his real look. Mm-hmm. Uh, but coaches. We were talking about coaches, and then I sort of changed gears on us. Um, I've seen some... I, I want to be bold, right? I want to be bold here. I've seen people say, like, uh, anywhere from one to three coaches could move on. I'm fully expecting every defensive coach to be dismissed. Maybe I'm wrong. I'm not like I, I. I don't break news. You guys, who have listened, followed us uh, for a while now, know that we're not news breakers. I'm not basing this off of any inside information. Uh, but I'm, I'm basing this off of logic, and I think every defensive coach will be dismissed. Now that does not mean that a guy like Gennaro—that's going to be the name that everybody wants to talk about. Gennaro could easily find his way back onto the staff, but I, I think that Kalani learned. Because he was handcuffed, remember, right? Uh, he had his own coaches that were forced upon him when he uh, took the head coaching job here at BYU. So I think he's learned that hey, forcing coaches on guys is, is not great. And I think that if he lets Tuiaki go, he's going to let everybody go. And I think that it is all but done. But this is Tuiaki's last game. Again, not breaking news, uh, but I think that all of us can. Do, see do you know how many guys. people though are still out there? Oh, saying, so many, and it's oh my no, Kalani only he will never fire I, his friends. I, I know he, he and, won't do this. And it's our guy Jay Drew, right? Like he breaks this news that that Tuiaki tried to resign, but Kalani wouldn't accept the resignation. Oh, that's just irresponsible, right? Because he wouldn't accept the resignation. Resignation. But he also demoted him that same week. He he also ended up taking over the reins that same week, right? So like, okay, he wouldn't let him walk out. But Kalani even talked about that, that you only get so many coaches on your staff. And if you don't have somebody readily able to step in and, and take over that role, you're just down a coach. That just hurts your players. Right, like everybody points to Boise State, that Boise State let their offensive coordinator go, and then immediately they were able to uh, replace him. Well, okay, but Dirk Cutter was there as an analyst. Like BYU doesn't have the luxury of firing Elisa Tuiaki, dismissing him, kicking him out of the football room, and then turning to a former NFL coach and plugging him in as the substitute coach. That's just not what what BYU's situation is, right? That's not what most people's situation is. Yeah. So it's not the same. And and so I hated that report so much by Jay 
because it just got people up in arms and it it just fueled this notion that Kalani's not going to fire his friends. Okay, wait till the end of the season. And he has fired his friends. He has fired T.O. He has fired Reno. Like, this was the first year that there was not even a case to be made. There were no metrics. There was no wins. There was no anything that you could say, well, the defense wasn't awful. I think they can improve. Right? Like, this, right. this was the first year that it was like, no, the defense was terrible. It's broken beyond repair. Even last year, everybody was, you know, everybody wanted changes because every and everybody gets to pound their chest now, and because you know you throw shit at the wall enough that eventually, with hindsight, you're going to be able to say some of it stuck. Everybody gets to pound their chest now and be like, "Hey, look, I saw this coming. How could Kalani not see this coming? Where was his foresight?" Blah 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 blah. Uh, but at the end of the day, like the defense was the reason BYU beat Utah. Was the reason BYU beat Arizona State. Was the reason that BYU beat Washington State. The defense wasn't great. And by the end of the year, like you could have gone either way. But from Kalani's perspective, it was like, we won a whole bunch of games. And why wouldn't I think that this defense could continue to do that? So it doesn't make a change. Anyway, yeah. so this is now the first year that it's like objectively, hey, this defense is, is just booty flakes bad. Something's got to happen. Uh, Kalani can do it. I got to go. Uh, you got to filibuster for me because my DoorDash is here. With my ever oh, what are you door dashing? Ice cream. I gotta stay awake, you know. Yeah. So, okay. So stand by. It's it's a commercial break during the commercial break. I wonder how long this will take, Jeff. Yeah, I with the defense, it's been so. I don't know. We've talked about this a, a bunch, right? That it's it has been just fine, like up until this season, and this is where it completely fell apart. And last year. Yeah, there were, and everyone talked all off seasons like, oh, there were flashes at the beginning of what happened down the stretch, and there was all oh, well, the injuries. All right, there were so many injuries, but that's why we looked so different in how many guys we were starting, and it, it we really just fighted to ourselves. But it was a very, very young team, especially in the front seven. He said, "Look, there's so many fresh bodies with a full, you know, another year in the program. We'll have more experience. We're going to be returning everyone next year, and we turn everyone, and then they were straight cheeks and." It it was really, I mean, extremely frustrating as a fan. But I don't think it's, um, I don't think it's ever going to. Yeah, it, it's one of those things now that when people talk about that Kalani's never going to fire his friends, whatever, and maybe he will, he will do it. Do it? That was a big yawn. Um, maybe he won't do it, but I doubt it. You know, the people like I'll believe it when I see it. It's just. Life is too short. Like, don't be that pessimistic. Life is too short to just get that hung up on worrying about somebody. And if you want him to do it, I mean, it's kind of one of those things that the people who complain the loudest probably donate the least and don't really, are not really in a place to complain or to actually make a difference. So they just yell into the void on the internet. But it's going on, you know, to all the other, you're looking at different places that BYU talk it's really interesting how little you know what how little they expect Colin to do when even you look at it like he cut his he pulled a scholarship from his own brother you know it's like Leroy Tunawai Satake was on the team signed with Utah when Kalani was a Utah went on the team came on signed with BYU was at BYU for a season and a half as a reserve offensive lineman 
And then Kalani calls up his own half brother and says, "Sorry, dude, you're not good enough. I'm pulling your scholarship." I just so don't. I, yeah. I just got the tail end of that, and I agree. Also, it, it's I was saying that it's it's a good like how people complain about Kalani and how he's never going to fire anyone. It's like we can't do it. It's like, well, he's probably going to. I I doubt that we're going to see we're going to see an ex, that Tuiaki sign an extension because he'll never fire. So it's like it's a good litmus test of like. Okay, I should just ignore everything that you say. I don't Yeah. Care. Yeah. Right? Well, yeah. It's you are just annoying and whiny and you just want to whine about something. You don't want to actually like think or like, you know, do some type of, well, maybe let me take a look at this. It's just, it's, it seems like fans and obviously we're very embedded in the BYU fan base and it's, I don't say it a ton from like every fan base, but it's funny how fan base is like, will latch to one random narrative, right? Like after the Coastal game, what, what, the time of what are these? What are these pimp, pimp guys on the television screen with the fur jackets and the... I don't know. This is the only cool thing that Stanford has ever done in the last 50 years of their football program. Um, I don't know. I like it, though. Christmas... But it's like... Go ahead. Finish your thought. The, so it's... The fans, like, latch onto the random narrative. Like, it was, it was complaining constantly about time of possession. And ever since after the Coastal game in 2020... You see so many people like, well, we got whooped in time of possession in this game, and that's why we lost, and whatever. Constantly time of possession, or last year, it was Keenan Peely got hurt, and that's what changed everything for the defense. And so the end of the season, we couldn't do anything because Keenan Peely was the only like person worth anything, right? Rather than there were injuries everywhere, but somehow it, the narrative got all focused on Keenan Peely. And so now people are looking and saying, well, we, we were told that he was this amazing player and he's just been very average this season. It's like, told by who? Uh-huh. Right? Like it's, it, it, there's like some of these things like bubble up as this like fan narrative that everyone latches onto, but no, and people will repeat and be like, oh yeah, that makes sense and kind of regurgitate it, but nobody like stops to be like, okay, but why? Oh, Jaron, that's beautiful. Uh, Christmas miracle here at the Hanson house. I ordered Uh-oh. two 20 ounce Mountain Dews from okay. CVS. The DoorDasher couldn't find any. And so I didn't have a backup selected. Generally, DoorDash just cancels that. But because they were so late, the DoorDasher just got two 12 packs of Diet Mountain Dew and charged me the price of two 20 ounces. Oh. Christmas yes. miracle. That is a Christmas miracle. Yeah, and so now I'm here. I got my ice cream, and I'm ready to settle in for the game. Got my Mountain Dew. I can stay awake. Uh, you can stay awake. Why are we going to another commercial? Someone just called timeout. Uh, we didn't have any for commercials for like the first eight minutes of the game. We got to play catch up. And I've learned a little bit in my, so in my small media world of high school football. Uh, they got to get their numbers in, so we're going to get those numbers in. Yeah, well, usually the time I noticed yesterday, because well, it was like in 2019, they started putting the guy out on the field that actually holds up the clock, that as the game went later, the, the first half didn't have very many breaks, and as the game went later, they started extending the commercial breaks length. Because mm. usually it's like 250, or like it's like three minutes, and there's another one like 347. And another one, like they had, to, they were changing, and it wasn't the same every time because mm-hmm. they needed to add in like the one or two extra commercials. Uh, 
and they probably do. I bet you if we looked at things, they probably do it towards the like at the beginning of the game and then the end of game. The game they probably do a little bit longer commercial breaks because that's when you have the most viewers. Like mm-hmm. you have a lead in from the game before, or like people tuning in, especially that game yesterday I went to where it was a 38-35 finish. You know, people are going to see, oh, close game and rivalry. Let me go. Oops, never mind. We don't have the Pac-12 network. I actually don't know what channel it was on. Oh. Uh, but, it was, but it was, you know, you look and it's, oh, it's a close game. Let me flip over. Right? There were so many games that I was watching today, you know, flipping over and like had my picture and picture going with three different games at once, flipping around where it's like, oh, like Tulsa-Houston, that's a close game. U- UCF, USF, that was a close game. The Oregon game was amazing. Like, there were so many good rivalry games today. Mm-hmm. And, like, very close games. And it is pro- this has probably been the single best weekend of the season in terms of close, like, big energy games. And I'm sad that it's the last one. It feels like we did the USF game just yesterday. USF? But also, that was another this, game. They almost beat UCF. Yeah, they um, the... the US USCF USF. I wonder so that was that rivalry. I don't know. Have you read much into that of like the whole thing with the Big East <clears throat> and UCF and USF and how USF tried to keep UFCF out? Oh, Steve Young is there. Hi, Steve. No, I have not read into that. But they it was like part of the reason the Big East fell apart was the USF school president said, we will not let UCF in because they will be like a threat to us in central Florida as like the, you know, next tier of schools. I am. And so that was part of why they could never get it signed. And even, so they had a, it scheduled like their series to play each other, like ran out because they weren't in the same conference. They were never, you know, they weren't in the same conference. And so it ran out and it was like, Oh, Oh, I'm excited. The um, this it ran out, and then like USF did some big thing because it was like, oh, you guys are dead, like you know whatever. And then we're in the Big East; we're never going to play you. And then they ended up in the sink. Oh, Isaac, that's what we've been waiting for all this year. Um, and then USF did this big thing, like on the disrespecting UCF, like. Not like a planting the flag thing. It was better than that. Oh my gosh, there's the costume guy. Oh gosh, I cringe every time I see him on TV. And I know he's not listening to this because I just saw him on the TV. Um, and then USF or UCF, and then it's just very much a comeuppance of they were so egotistical that they would not let UCF in. And then they got, were ended up being stuck in the same league as them and they got left behind. But that, dude, that Stanford's defense is so bad. Yeah, Stanford's like, team is awful. How did they beat Notre Dame? I don't know. Anybody can get up for a a game. Just one. That's true, right? Like we saw <clears throat> New Mexico State wail on Liberty today. Uh, so Steve Young was there. I am 0% surprised that Steve Young is a Cotopaxi Coke guy, not a Patagonia Coke guy. He just, oh, he, he's, pro- he's probably an early investor yeah, in Cotopaxi. Yeah, he looks Cotopaxi. Like, as soon as I saw that, I thought to myself, oh, yeah, he probably owns that. How are our other Cougars doing? Have you checked? The, it is 14 to 10, uh, Washington. Oh, wait, no, no, that's false. It's 24-21, Washington. Excuse me. Why did this not work? 24-21, oh, Washington State. Oh, that's weird. Okay, so I'm looking in the, the app, and I see 
it's 1410 with 1241 in the second quarter, but then if I actually click on the game, then I see like the updated score. Well, that, that's weird. That is weird. So what is actually, well, I guess it doesn't matter, right? Because if Washington State wins, then Oregon will go to the Pac-12 championship game. I don't know. They will get beat by USC. I, I've, and then... I've invested 0% energy into following that. All I know is that the Ute Smack channel says we are cheering for Washington State. That's all I know. So it's assuming USC goes to the playoff. The Pac-12 actually has their pick, really, of who they want. It says traditionally they will take the highest-ranked team available mm. in the Pac-12. So if Washington had won big tonight, mm-hmm. then even if Utah goes to the playoff, maybe, or Utah goes to the championship game, then you know Washington would probably be higher, especially if Utah gets whooped by USC. That you know, and it ends up being Washington. But then also, if it's you know Ohio State's getting left out, they Rose Bowl, they probably don't want a rematch, so they could still end up picking Washington anyway. Or if Oregon you know goes and plays, they probably pick Oregon. So I think it's probably going to be Oregon or Washington, just because I don't think the Rose Bowl cares to set up a rematch. Interesting. But it's it. There is no. Because in 20, when USC played, when Washington went to the playoff, they played, um, they, they played uh, like UCLA in the Pac-12 championship game mm-hmm. or whatever in 2016 and won. Washington went undefeated, went to the playoff, but then USC with Sam Darnold was finished second in the South or lost a tiebreaker or whatever. And so the USC ended up battling Stanford because they were the highest ranked team. It's not the loser. It was the highest ranked team, but even then the pack, the official like Rose Bowl thing, it says that they traditionally would take the next highest ranked team, which traditionally that is a, we are not legally bound to this. There is no contract agreement for this. It's a, uh, if we want to do this, but if we can get a better matchup that we think is going to draw better numbers, then we're going to do that. So I don't, I think either way, unless somehow, so I think probably the safest way, yes, is just for the Cougars to win. And then, it doesn't matter because yeah, Utah would not. I, I don't think. I mean, I guess it could be that if USC beats whoops Oregon next week, that Utah would end up being the next highest ranked team. But even then, I think they would probably take Oregon or I think they would stick to the, I think they'd stick to the tradition, frankly. I don't think they'd want I'm to. Taking the high, but then if they did that, though, then I think there's a decent chance that Utah would be the next highest-ranked team, even though they didn't play in that. Like, if, if USC beats Oregon by 20 points next week, if Washington oh. State loses tonight, USC beats Oregon by 20 points next week, oh my gosh. Utah T- would probably be the next highest-ranked team. Tanner McKee just ran for eight yards, and I have never seen him run. It's like watching Peyton Manning post-neck surgery run. Like, just a big giraffe out there trying to, like, pick up yards on a football field. It's not it's, great, but it worked, but it, it's not great. It does look like a giraffe. Like it's, you know, we call Isaac Rex the elk because he kind of looks like an elk galloping the way an elk runs. And I think Tanner McKee does look like a giraffe. Well, he does. It's like his knees bend the wrong way. I don't know. There's just something lurpy about him. Okay. Have you ever seen a video of giraffes fighting? Yeah, with their, their heads. Their they just like wing their necks it's at the each other. Thing. Yeah, that's that's the the whole alpha male thing when they start winging their necks at one another, and uh, it's kind of fascinating. Animals are nuts, man. Like animals are crazy. So, 
here's the thing. Here's my question, my hypothetical for you. Tanner McKee goes to the transfer portal tomorrow. Do you even want him? Oh, this is a tricky question. Because if it depends on how, if it depends on what BYU wants to be, right? Or how, because if you're saying we know we can't get our pick of the litter, so we are going to mold our system around the best possible players we can get regardless, or are you going to be the, we will get the best possible players that fit our system and our offensive identity? Because I mean, if he entered the portal, you could probably get him. He'd have no tomorrow. shortage of options. He would have no shortage of options. He, I mean, if BYU was not a mess in 2017, he would have signed with BYU out of high school. Mm-hmm. And the, it, his playing style, though, is very, very different than what we have seen from Zach Wilson, Baylor Romney. So different. Hall. But so it's a matter, but his arm talent is there and is undeniable, right? Like he has the arm. He is, there's a reason that he's on a lot of NFL draft boards, right? And so it's up. I, it, I mean, I would take him. I wouldn't promise him a starting job. I'd but want I would him. take him. I would want him for sure. Uh, I would want him because. But I also wouldn't expect him to come in and light it up because he just, he did, is very different. Right. And if there was a battle, I wouldn't, you know, it just depends on what you want to do. Cause you look at how much we have relied on, even with Baylor, like having the handful of runs and having a semi mobile quarterback. Like that's not him. He is a true pocket passer. Yeah. I, I, I would take him. Um, I would happily take him because I think he can make every throw on the football field. And then yes. I would put all of my trust in. Aaron Roderick to say, look, you got to figure this offense out because the offense as it is designed right now for Jaron Hall, I, I think Tanner, Tanner McKee would be a disaster. I, I, yes. I think he would be awful. 100%. Uh, the offense that Jeff Grimes ran that was a lot more mesh, um, I, I think I probably would have seen McKee having some success in that. Like, you know, there was a lot more. Uh, Zach was mobile, but there was a lot more pocket passing and, and quick passes. So from- It would be a lot more of what we did the first half of 2018 when Tanner Mangum was still there, who was also slow as molasses. Oh, Kalani is fired up. I kind of kind of got scared. My, 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 my uh, genitalia just like crawled inside itself a little bit. Oh, it felt like, like, well, now maybe I've transitioned. I don't know. But it, it feels like... It, Aaron Roderick, you would take Tanner McKee, and Aaron Roderick would have to. He would have to fix that offense, right? But here's the thing, and here's why I would like so happily take him, because I think that Tanner McKee is the quarterback that Aaron Roderick really wants. Not Tanner McKee, but I think that Aaron Roderick wants a guy who is going to very quickly process things and throw quick passes, timing routes. And BYU can hand the ball off, you know, ten times a game and throw the ball sixty times a game. I think that's who Aaron Roderick is at his core. And I think for that reason, feels like I'm a Shark Tank, but for that reason, I would take Tanner McKee because I think he would allow Aaron Roderick to be the Aaron Roderick that he wants to be. 
but I think I can buy that. I, I think. Um, now the the question would be. The question would be like, okay, Tanner McKee. I I don't think he's a sure thing, right? That he's going to be like uber successful if he transfers. He's got all the skills to be great, but he he has some throws that are like, whoa, really questionable. And then if you ever need him it, to have it's... any athleticism at all, like, you got just as much luck asking me to be your athletic quarterback. Like it's just not there. Yeah, it is, especially at the college game where defenses break down a lot easier. Right, like you can. I mean, look at what's his face Ward at Washington State or Jaden Delora at Arizona. Right, where there's you can you got to yes, you make the throws, but you make a lot of questionable throws, mm-hmm. or you can't make all the throws. Like, there's a lot of things that are masked by being able to get for. I mean, you will even okay, look at Utah. Look at Cam Rising. He does not have anywhere close to an NFL arm, despite what the U fans will tell you. But he is very, very good at getting like seven yards when you need six on a third down. Mm-hmm. And it's he and he's not and he's not an elite runner, right? But it's he's a good and mobile enough that you can do it. And it is being mobile enough masks so many issues that if you don't have the receivers to get open or you don't have, you know, the run game to help spread things out a little bit for you. Right. Uh, you know, passing game, it's where if you can just being able to just run a, a spread of a straight read option and go for a oh. and be a m- minor threat mask so many things for you as a quarterback and make things so much easier on an offensive coordinator that it's, I mean, there's a reason that pretty much every team is going to a dual threat now and that the Tanner McKees of the world are a dying breed. Uh, yeah. So the the question I think that BYU would have to ask themselves when evaluating whether or not they would bring in McKee if he were to enter the transfer portal tomorrow is who else taking McKee, you know, it's it's the it's the opportunity cost, right? Taking McKee prevents you from oh look, here he goes. He's athletic and he slides down. What a what an athlete. Um taking McKee prevents you the opportunity from going and getting Hank Bachmeyer or or whomever else, right? So, is it worth it? And I think that's what BYU would have to evaluate. I would take him in a heartbeat. Um, but if I'm, you know, ranking the quarterbacks that I would want in the transfer portal, give me Hank Bachmeyer before Tanner McKee. I think that he's a better athlete. I think he's got the tools that that McKee has. And I don't think he'd have the same level of expectations. Like, that's the other thing that you, you'd have to evaluate with Tanner is he would come to BYU as, you know, he's that five-star guy, right? And so he would still have, hey, you're the big-time player. You're now where you should have been all along. He would have huge expectations coming into Provo. And how much of a role does that play? You know, look at Jacob Conover, right? Like, everybody has expected him to be that guy for a very, very long time, and, and it's becoming clearer and clearer that he's not. Uh, I mean, the dude has his minivan draped in, in BYU stuff. Like, BYU is his dream, and it's like, I don't know. So th- there's an element there. <clears throat> yeah. Oh, Tanner just, well, he's got the touchdown almost anyways, but boy, he had, uh, I don't know if that was a wheel route or what it was, but he had somebody up on the field side that was wide open. Yeah, I, the expectations thing is is definitely something that would be very different. 
for him and where you say with Bachmeier, right? Especially when you look at Bachmeier is a guy who clearly had talent, but was not. Yeah, I think I think Bach, yeah. Bachmeier. You 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 can look at Bo Nix. You can look at Michael Penix. You could look at Adrian Martinez. You could look at any number of guys and say, yeah, Hank Bachmeier was a guy that was handed the keys as a true freshman, and he was supposed to be the, the, the savior. He was, you know, Kellen Moore reincarnated at Boise State. That's a lot of pressure to put on an 18-year-old kid. And when he didn't live up to it, people turned on him. And he struggled this year. There's no question about it. But Boise struggled this year. Like, Boise State... It's good that they struggled. So that has an amazing turnaround by Avalos. Because, I, I mean, they finished the regular season 9-3. and three. Well, They're going right. to their conference championship. It's, right, and it's, it's crazy because you think you look at, oh, they lost to Oregon State and freaking UTEP. And now it's like, well, Oregon State's top 25 team. Yep. And then they lost to us. Their only other loss was UTEP. It, the the vibe around Boise this season has been very well, strong. Even though those early wins up... weren't great. It was kind of like BYU yeah. beating Utah State and Wyoming. Like, they were wins in the yeah. win column, but it didn't feel good. Okay, speaking of Utah State, you know, they turn it around. They end up getting to a bowl game after they looked god awful. They just fired their university president and their AD are gone. Mm-hmm. So, and the head coach is in the hot water. If Cooper Lega enters the portal with the season after he came in, when you look at him and his abilities on the ground, how he fits very similarly in terms of playing style to what Garen Hall has done in this offense, how do you feel about Cooper Lega? Um, as I mean, he's not the number one guy that you're gonna like, you know, like if Bachmeyer's your number one guy, right? He, you know, or McKee, I would. How would you feel about Lagos? It was he transferred in and he's you know battling out with Jacob Conover if he's still here, Saul Jamal Peters, or Cooper Lagos, and then Ryder Burton next year for QB one. Um, I would if. <laughs> I wouldn't feel any better about the quarterback situation with Cooper Laga than I do with some combination of, of Conover, Suljay, Finnegan, and Ryder Burton. Like Cooper Laga is probably would be the one who would win that job. But one, he's got an injury history, so one of those other four would have to play anyway at some point. And and two, I don't think he would be that much better that you're like, oh good, quarterback is quarterback is good. So I would still, if Cooper Lega is the only guy that BYU were to bring in, uh, I still think you're looking at the quarterback as like your second worst position that you feel good about in your position power rankings. So I wouldn't feel great. And that isn't as much about Cooper as it is everybody else in the room. I just wouldn't feel good about the quarterback room. I think... I'm nervous actually about the quarterback room just entirely and what it's going to be. I mean, I feel a lot less nervous if Darren Hall's there. But then, you know, it, it's any time. It, we really, even with Jaron Hall, we had the luxury, right, of we saw him when Zach Wilson got hurt in 2019. Mm-hmm. And so we, we had a flash. So going into last year, it was like, oh, it's fine. We got Jared. We saw We know what he can do. And if we don't have him, we've seen what Baylor Romney can do. And but it's in you know any time you're breaking in a fresh quarterback, it's always you're rolling the dice. It's always recruiting quarterbacks is always dicey. It's always hit or miss. It is. It's always weird, and there's so it's, many it, variables that go into it. 
I mean, look, and, look, yeah, at, look at Bo, right? Bo Nix was, he was a bust. He was written off as a bust. He had his moments at Auburn, but they pushed him out of town. And now he's, uh, he's probably going to get invited to New York for the Heisman. Like, he's that good, right? And all that really changed was we, a little bit less pressure and a different offensive scheme. Dr. Michael Penix Jr. at Washington is leading the country in passing. Yeah, just who would have? No one ever would have thought that was happening when he was at Indiana. Just mind-boggling. Yeah, and so it, it is. Especially, you know, we've had the fans. It's like, well, that is why we should have gotten Conover in there, so we can see. And it's really though, like, what is blowout time going to do? Like, we got to see Jaron. We knew Jaron's going to be fine because we saw him start and play entire games, almost an entire. Game, yeah, right? and and. But now this year, with Conover, it's like what you're going to see him play a team you're already blowing out because they're awful. The coaches have seen him every day in practice for the last three years. If they didn't trust him, the biggest thing, this is the other witness test. I actually went, I went to the Suns game the other night with the Hellion, and we were talking about during the game that's like the people who complain about Jacob Conover, if he ends up deciding to move on from the program, um, this off season, the that you know both the staff didn't do enough to prepare him, or a Rod didn't prepare. It's like okay, the quarterback coach who had Zach Wilson ready to play as soon as you know benching Tanner Mangum, and then had Jaron Hall and Baylor Romney ready to play. Where we had look at how good the you know the QB room has been the last three years. Got him, and it's like when he doesn't. What are you going to trust the rating? that ESPN basically alone propped up mm-hmm. for Jacob Conover or the QB guru who has watched him play in practice every day for the last three years. It, and and that's... when your starting quarterback had a separated shoulder you said, and did not practice and take a single snap all week, you said, yeah, we're going to drug that guy up because I'm, I watched you all week in practice and I don't trust, I trust him. And, and that is, don't that, hall that's the key, right? Is it, it, it? This isn't like a freshman. This isn't a kid that you you brought in. You've seen him for a spring ball, and you're like, eh, I don't know if he's got if he's got it. Like this is different. Arod has had a chance to look at Conover post mission for three full years, and he doesn't doesn't see it. Cal Puka's so good. We're gonna miss him. I miss you already, Puka. I love you. Cal, he yeah, just keeps breaking tackles. Like I feel like Stanford's sideline is pregnant after watching Buka break all those tackles. <laughs> oh my god! I don't understand how that relates to pregnancy. It was but... beautiful. Sure. Like it was just, uh, it was a, almost a sexual experience watching Buka mm-hmm. run right there. Oh, and Jaron, my goodness, this BYU offense. Stanford hasn't seen offense like this. Yeah, they have not. But yeah, the the. The sign that the Notre Dame game, if you did not figure out that the Notre Dame game, that Jacob Conover was never going to be the guy in Provo, mm-hmm. I don't know what to tell you, right? Like when it's, you know, when when the reports came out that Jaron Hall did not snap all week. And I've seen people, it's like, well, you had a four-star quarterback. And he practiced all week, but you still put in Jaron Hall. Aaron Roderick is an idiot for playing Jaron Hall. Like, look at the flip side. They should have known you it know, at, at the Boise State game last year when, when Jaron Hall would have been better off trying to punt the ball to receivers than throw it. Hey, he threw for over 300 yards that game. <laughs> I don't know how, because the, 
the guy could hardly move. And uh, yeah, like Conover should have known at that point. Yes, uh, he, Conover should have known at that point and probably should have transferred. So I guess who, how many quarterbacks, here's a better question, how many quarterbacks do you think will transfer out uh, of the program? Out of this program? Ooh, that's a good question. I, I, I don't think that Cade Fennigan transfers, but I would not be at all surprised to see him medically retire. Oh, look at this little reverse to Chase Roberts. If Chase Roberts wasn't a tight end playing wide receiver, that's probably a touchdown. But, you know, tight end. Uh, I, I could see Cade Fennigan just stepping away. He's had some pretty serious health stuff. Um, so I would... He had a... Uh, he had a... I don't remember what it was. and won't get into it, but he had a situation similar to Gunnar Romney's. It wasn't a football injury related, but like how Gunnar Romney was held out forever because we're like, uh, we literally have no idea what will happen if your kidneys get hit again and your kidneys might explode. It was like one of those. It was a non-football injury that was yeah. questionable of should you be playing at all. Right, and I do know what it was, but I don't really feel great talking about it because yeah, it's like not, not a football thing. So uh, I could see him stepping away. Um, Soljay, Soljay's interesting, man, because the, the dude works hard. Like His teammates love him. Coaches love him. He's never going to play. Um does he transfer to an FCS school to try to find playing time? The the kid seems like he really loves BYU. It's been good for him off the field. So I could see so I could see Sol J sticking around, which I think would be good to just have a uh somebody familiar with the program, familiar with everything, um there in the room. I think that's a good thing to have. Even if yeah. he never plays, right? So I could see Sol J sticking around. I think Conover enters the portal as soon as as soon as it opens i i think he's gone i i really do. it opens next week or the week after i, can't, I was trying to think because I, I was know. saying that i think it's december 6th i can't remember uh but i think i think conover is as good as gone at this point and that's okay i think that's as, that's good for everybody there's going to be a there's going to be a, an irrational meltdown oh absolutely there will be by many yeah absolutely there will be and I hope he does well. He's a really good kid, and the dude loves BYU. He really, whoa, he really loves BYU. I just want to point out that um, Jake, 24-7 sports, I mean, we don't talk, I wish they would de-emphasize the composite rating because... Uh, so does most yeah. of the evaluators, for what it's worth. Yes, because they're the only ones, well, they actually have evaluators, unlike most of the other sites that they are actually including in their composite. Yep. Actually, all of the other sites that they're including in their composite. But the 24-7 actually had uh, Jacob Conover as the like 57th best quarterback in his class and rated an 86 overall. And Ryder Burton is rated an 85 overall. Mm -hmm. And Jaron Hall was the 51st rated quarterback by 24-7 in his class, even though he was like an 84 overall. He was rated slightly lower, but there were fewer quarterbacks in his class. Uh, people who, people who have seen Ryder Burton, I, let's, let's talk Ryder Burton. Uh, I saw a post on Cougar Board that was like, the, it was one of the top 10 posts, which always, I love the top 10. I've talked about this. Every and forum should incorporate some version of that because I think it's great. Oh my gosh, the Stanford man. That's Levani Damuni just trying to rip Jaren's head off. Come on, Levani. Oh, no, it's not. It's some guy named number two. 
eat shit number two. You're the worst. Uh, but 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 Ryder Burton, Ryder Burton. Everybody who I have talked to, who has seen him throw outside of Springville's offense, has told me the very same thing. They have all said this kid has what it takes. Every single person. Um, he's got a big arm. He processes things very, very quickly. He can make most throws today. He's got good size. And, and he's probably going to grow a little bit more based on his genetics and all of these things. That Springville offense, they had a game earlier this year where they ran the ball 62 times. 62. They had uh, one game where Valetti, their running back, who's the coach's kid, he's one of like four coaches' kids that are on this team, Valetti had like 48 carries by himself. That offense just does not throw the ball. And when they do throw the ball, it's a deep seam route or a post. That's what it is every single time. That, those are the only throws that Ryder Burton has to make. And so everybody who I have talked to that has seen Ryder Burton throw at camps or in training sessions, they've all said, hey, Ryder Burton is very, very good. And so for that, like, and that, and that includes John Beck, who worked with both Ryder Burton and Jackson Brousseau at Lehigh, and pulled a rod. Ryder's your guy. Uh, yeah, and and for the in-state, like of all the in-state QBs, he's your guy. I, right, and I, I was there on the field this for the last couple of weeks, getting a really close look at, at Jackson Brousseau, and Jackson Brousseau can make every throw that a football player needs to make. I think Jackson Brousseau is going to be a great quarterback at Colorado State. I also think that there's a reason why it's Colorado State, right? Like, everybody wants to lament the fact that BYU hasn't offered this kid, but neither has Utah, neither has Utah State, neither has really... Oh, no. What a terrible, terrible play. Puka, that was just bad. And A-Rod, that was also bad. Just bad. There's the one cute play call game. And so anyway, there's a lot of schools that have passed on Jackson Brousseau. And when you watch him play, why did he jump to catch that? It was thrown right at his I don't know. Uh, When you watch Jackson Brousseau play, all the throws are scripted, right? And it's really difficult for him when he has to get to his other reads. It's, It's a problem. And and anytime he's a system, he's a, yeah. It, it, it's hard to it's really hard to evaluate QBs that played a system like that in high school because a lot of times you know it, we were talking about earlier about like how being a semi mobile quarterback can mask a lot in college. Mm-hmm. The disparity is even more high school. Where it's like if you have three really good wide receivers, any quarterback will put up massive numbers. Did they? So did we get how do you did we get bailed actually, out with a penalty here? I think we did. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Oh, look, hey, we actually had a fullback there. We had Wake lined up in the backfield to be a lead blocker. We just didn't have the quarterback there to hand the ball off, so we dropped it on the ground. That's funny. Um, but, yeah. So, anyway. Bruce life is very easy. Well, and, and any time the play broke down, he made mistakes. Uh, almost, well, I mean, not any time, but a lot. He was making mistakes. And so... 
I get why schools haven't jumped on Brissot. He's got the size. He's got the arm strength. He's got the things to be very, very good. And I think that he could be very, very good. But I do get it. Now, that isn't to say that Ryder Burton is clearly unquestionably the best guy. But a lot of people who have seen him play outside of Springville, they like him. Oh well, my gosh, what are we doing? I don't know. And now there's another flag. Well, there's Rex, but there's going to be a holding call or something the, there. Um, well, and it's quarterbacks. It's like projecting a quarterback is like it, it, it's like projecting a head coach, right? Like everybody thought Scott Frost was the slam dunk hire for Nebraska, and look how that went, mm-hmm. right? And everyone thinks that you know ASU is apparently going to hire Kenny Dillingham. And, you know, people are like, oh, it's a great hire for them. Who knows how that's going to go? Look at what people thought of Mario Cristobal going to Miami, right? It, it's all of these things that it, it's a crapshoot, especially at the quarterback position, and you just don't know. For every Trevor Lawrence or Bryce Young, there's a Tate Martell who's a big flop, who does nothing, right? Or even look at DJU. He's been very average compared to what people expected and a lot of that like Ryder Burton is because Clemson's scheme is not good and it's not creative and it doesn't put him in situations to win. I will say with Ryder Burton one thing I do like is that he didn't transfer like when you talk about a guy who's going to like you want to be a leader be around it it's like he even in that crappy system he took Springfield Springville to the finals last year or did they win it? They won the uh, title no, last they year? lost they last year, and then this year they uh, got upset in, I think, the second round. And it's like he, but he never, um, he never, like, he he could have easily known, right? Like, this is what the situation is going to be next year. I'm going to go bounce. I mean, similar, no, I, and I don't. This is no like knock against Jackson Dart, right? But when Jackson Dart moved from Roy to Corner Canyon, that could have been Ryder Burton making a similar move. But he said, No, this is where I'm from, this is what I'm gonna do. Like I got my scholarship offer, I know what I want to do, I know where I wanna go, like I'm good. And so I think there is something to be said for that, like in terms of the you know, like intangibles of the whole thing. But yeah, it's it's a crapshoot to try to predict anything. So for all we know, it's he could be a major club or so is going to go win the Mountain West Player of the Year and get drafted in the first round. Yep. Uh, I'm ready to declare that we're not doing this in the second half. No, we're not doing this in the second half. We Do we even want to go till halftime? Well, well, there's a minute 50 left. No, because I feel like uh, halftime is a good Here's the last thing I want to talk about. I hope that this okay. game. We'll, we'll wrap this up. Here we are, twenty-eight to nine. I hope that this game. Please, if you are, <sighs> I love you, but if you are the fool, if you are the idiot, if you are the moron, if you are the nincompoop, who after this game, if Elisa Tuiaki is fired. If you are the guy that says, well, what about Lance Anderson? I want you to do a whole world of favor and just go and drink a bottle of mustard. I want you to die, but I want you to hate your life. No, not bleach. I want you to live, but I, I, I want you to, to have to learn. And a whole bottle of mustard is not going to be great for you. And that's what I want. The, if you think, if you look 
at how and think of what you have thought about Eli Satriaki as a defensive coach and as a defensive coordinator. If you look at each of the last five seasons, SP Plus, which is opponent in strength of schedule adjusted, pace of play adjusted, all that stuff adjusted, five for five, each of the last five years, including this year, the Stanford defense has been rated worse than BYU. Oh, they're so. So if you are saying that Lance Anderson, that that's another narrative. We're talking about like narratives that fans latch onto. It's like, oh, well, Stanford, because of what Lance Anderson coached in a Rose Bowl with Christian McCaffrey in 2015 mm-hmm. or whatever. It's like everyone is still just latched onto that. Is like, oh, well, Lance Anderson, he's the reason we're, he's still in all our recruits. Yeah, he's still in them and then doing that shit with them. Right. So it's like, what, uh, and and no, here's the other thing. Do not want. I want. Let's talk about this for a minute, too, about the recruiting aspect of it, right? That Lance Anderson, yeah, he's pulled in some LDS recruits. That's true. However, I talked to uh, a recruit who turned down Stanford, got him off the record, and he opened things up pretty well with me. And, and, and it's really David Shaw who does most of the recruiting for these LDS kids. Uh, but David Shaw pulls them aside and... And, and pulls their family aside and talks very candidly about, hey, look, Stanford is a very liberal institution. Here inside the football program, you will find that we are not representative of Stanford University as a whole. The family, the atmosphere, the environment of the football program is very different than the environment and the atmosphere of the university. And it's David Shaw who does a lot of that legwork that makes families, LDS families, feel comfortable going to play at Stanford, knowing that it is not a real great Mormon environment, right? So Lance Anderson gets the credit because he's kind of that token guy that can stand there and say, hey, what David is telling you is true, but it's Coach Shaw that is really doing all of the stuff that, that makes fans think that Lance Anderson is such a great LDS recruiter. And I feel like that's important for people to understand. Well, important to understand because now there's a big question is, is David Shaw even going to be there yeah, next year? Go get year? David Shaw. And Shit, I, make him your coordinator. Was he well, an offensive guy? I don't know what he was. I don't know. But David Shaw, you know, with it, it it's really hard to keep things going once it's built. And he did a good job for a while. I mean, people think of Stanford now like Stanford sucked forever, mm-hmm. right? Like they... Prior to Harbaugh taking over, they only had like one or two 10-win seasons in school history. They were not a good program, and now they've come back down to like what you've seen Stanford the last couple of years. Like That is what Stanford football is. But we've been warped around thinking what they were from 2009 Yeah, from Andrew Luck on. Yes, we, from Andrew Luck and then the in Christian McCaffrey. And uh, what's the... Who is the other, not McCaffrey, who is the other running back that Toby, they have? Toby, Bryce, Toby um, Gerhardt. Oh, Rice. Oh, well, the, um, Bryce, whatever his name was, the Hall. one who should have declared. In, Bryce Hall? Isn't he? He's a are you think you're, Are you combining that with Bryce Hall? I don't know. Um, I don't know what I'm doing. But, you know, Bryce, whatever his name was, that he, like, won the Walker Award. I think maybe his name was Bryce. I'm misremembering. Like, he Love. was the other running Bryce back. Bryce Love. Bryce Love, yes. Oh. It's like, from Toby Gearhart to Christian McCaffrey, where Bryce Hudson in the middle, like that was the pinnacle of Stanford football and the best seven, eight year run that they've ever had. And it's not close. Yeah. And now they're coming back down to what they've always been. The transfer portal and NIL is decimating them as a program. And 
will they probably will never fire Shaw. Shaw is like he's gonna be like Pat Fitzgerald at Northwestern, where it doesn't matter how many four and eight seasons. There's not like because he actually managed to have good seasons for once and there's not enough boosters to actually want to push him out. And the university, he, they're happy that he keeps high academic standards and you know, they do their thing, whatever. He it's they're never gonna fire him. But it's like, will he retire this year? And I think there's some buzz that it may happen. And he could, you know, say like, okay, yeah, we're going to, he's going to maybe step down. Will he go try to take an NFL job? You know, what will David Shaw do? Because I think he, he might be done. They showed him pregame that he was like, he was crying pretty good, which a lot of coaches get emotional on senior day. Um, he's probably sad because there's only like seven people available. There. That beard is great. Is that a fake beard or is that a that real looks beard? Fake. On that yeah, guy? that looks fake. Um, the, um, and so it's, you know, he may have just been, you know, a lot of coaches get emotional on senior day, seeing their guys for the last time, whatever, especially when they're not going to play in a bowl this year. But maybe that was him being emotional because he knows that his time in Palo Alto is winding down. Uh, he probably gets fired. Like they've sucked for a while. I, I, Will they? I don't know. And he like, hasn't, will they he actually has, fire him? He's never adapted anything either. He runs the same offense that they have ran for a while. Good play, 81. That was smart. Go to the, go they, to the grass. And, ugh. Anyway. You're supposed to be the smart kid that goes to the same. I don't know if this um, was a good show, a bad show, but it was a show. It was a They're show. lining up for a field goal. Fellas, time is gone. So they think he got down and they called the timeout first? They didn't have any timeouts. What is happening? Um, how has... Yeah, we're walking off the field and now they're finally telling them that there is no time or is there one second left or what is David happening? Shaw gives me alien vibes. Why does he give you alien vibes? That's not very interesting. to say. Like he, I don't know, he looks a little bit like Yoda to me. Like a that. young Yoda. What is this? Not Grogu, not Baby Yoda, but young Yoda. We called a timeout. Oh, checking the with one second. We just left. wanted them to get their get their field goal off. The Apple Cup. It's a uh, Washington twenty-eight, Washington State twenty-seven. Um, for what it's worth, ladies and gentlemen of the live show, Brother Lamb is controlling our timeouts at this point in time. Um, it is also clear now. I understand. Oh, 54 yards. They just wanted to see if they could make it. I'm here for it. Maybe they're scouting him for next year. Because Old George's going to be gone. Be. Like, oh, maybe this dude will be. Yeah, I like him. He made it. Good for him. Okay, well, that's good. Get, I want him over Cash Peterson for next Cash Peterson. Peterman for next year. Cardi? Um, His name is Cardi. Jeff, Ugh. The it, it has been a fun show. I mean, it, it, we had no agenda. I mean, we managed to ramble for an hour and forty-two minutes. That's pretty impressive. Well I think this is our longest show officially ever. Uh, we're gonna go watch the second half just by ourselves, well, with the rest of you on the game thread. But it has been a fun time, Jeff. We will be back on our normal recording schedule next week. And until then, give them hell.